This message was recorded at Devoted, a Christ Central Festival for all the family. To find out more about Devoted, please visit devotedevent.org. Okay, good morning. Uh, it's just great seeing you and being here together. If you were here yesterday, uh, I want to say welcome again, and it's just great being together. Uh, if you're here just for this one-off, then hey, you're welcome, and we're, I know we're in for a, a really excellent time together. We're looking at parenting, and uh, yesterday we, look at, we looked at foundations, values, Graham and Daryl Ann's. Uh, just served so well on that. If you weren't here, I'd just say the talks will be uh, online, and uh, I'd really recommend that. But this morning, we are really thrilled to have with us Sam and Hannah uh, from Leeds, and Rob and Joe from Kendall Stroke Lancaster. Okay, I'm so excited to hear what they're going to bring, but I'm going to immediately get them on their feet, hand over to them, and uh, the rest is yours, Rob. Let's welcome them. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to introduce it, um, really. So, um, in, this, in this particular seminar, we're going to be um, uh, talking about um, parenting children under difficult circumstances. And uh, most of those um, circumstances are health-related, um, but the principles that you're going to hear are applicable in all sorts of different issues, for example, uh, 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 um, behavioural issues, communication issues, all these sorts of things, the same sort of principles can apply and are really, really uh, important and useful. So um, uh, my family, I'm married to Joe, and we are part of two churches, Kendall and Lancaster, and I have two of my daughters here, Emily and Esther, and uh, Emily's husband, Matt, and... Um, uh, and we've got uh, three other children. We've got uh, a son, Ben, and two, another son called Micah, and another son called Izzy, who are somewhere around on the site. Daughter, who are somewhere around on the site and moving around. And um, as, a, as a quick, I mean, obviously, I, it will take me hours to, to explain this, but as a quick note before, um, before Joe sort of talks a bit more about it, is um, that four of our children are, uh, are chronically ill. So... Um, and then we've also we've got um, Sam and Hannah, who have uh, two daughters, and I'm going to leave them to explain exactly uh, uh, their parenting and, and what goes on in their life. So, guys, do you want to come up now? And we, we'll start with you two. Can I just say, before I hand over, that with all of us, what we've actually tried to do in this seminar is to be really real. So you will get a lot of nitty-gritty in this because there's a sense of... We wanted to, to bring to you a sense of realism, not a sense of uh, this is a Bible passage, this is what's supposed to happen, but actually this is what does happen. Thanks. Hi, morning. Um, yep, yeah, I'm Hannah and this is Sam. And um, I guess these guys have just asked us to share a little bit of our testimony in terms of who we are as a family and some of the things... We are learning, definitely haven't learnt, but are learning, and what God has been doing in us as a result of that. Um, so, as Rob said, we've got two children. Our oldest daughter is eight years old, um, and our younger daughter is four. Um, we probably won't use their names. Our intention is to not use their names this morning, but um, Sam's going to talk in a minute. We might by accident. Um, two reasons, I guess, as part of what we've been challenged by. 
Slightly for safety reasons for our younger daughter, who we adopted. Um, also for our older daughter, um, we try not to tell too much of her story for her, and I'll explain a little bit more about why that is in a minute. Um, so, yeah, that's why we're not using their names, not just to be weird. Um, so we adopted our younger daughter three years ago now, yeah, um, and she is a bundle of energy. She's quite feisty, which is good, because it's going to do her well long-term and is interesting at times now. I think um, yesterday you might have done a little bit of stuff on attachment, and so she comes with her own attachment needs, which display themselves in many different ways. At the minute, her most difficult thing is emotional regulation, so... Helping her regulate her emotions is very difficult. She becomes very high and cannot get down from that place. So we have some interesting times. But she's actually doing really well. She's been an amazing blessing to our family. Um, our older daughter is eight years old. Um, and she is severely physically disabled and has a number of complex medical needs. Um, I was trying to count up the different types of medication this morning as we're like laying them all out and giving them to her. Um, so I think she has 10 different types of medication every day. Um, her most kind of obvious needs are, um, so she's non-verbal, so she doesn't speak. So she communicates through hand squeezing and releasing. Um, and she cannot do like anything for herself. So she's got no mobility. The muscles in her body are completely weak and don't really work properly. Um, so she's in a wheelchair all the time, uh, so needs to be lifted and moved and changed and all those kind of things. Um, so I guess just to give you a bit of an idea about that, she um, is amazingly patient, our older daughter, um, and has a lot of joy and is a real joy bringer to people. Um, and I think, by the grace of God, really enjoys life, despite... <laughs> her difficult circumstances and the kind of pain that she lives in on a daily basis, I think we don't really understand even as her parents. Um, and she's amazing in that way. So that's a very brief overview of our family. Is that fair? <laughs> um, I guess we wanted to talk about a couple of things. Firstly, what we've learned in terms of perspective. Then we've learned what we've learned about the pace of our lives and then what we've learned about partnership. We were just really real that before we had kids, we had kind of dreams and expectations of what that might look like. And our family life does not look like now what we thought it was going to um, when I was pregnant. Um, and I guess it's just really good to be honest about the loss and grief that's been involved in that. Some of which um, happened very early on. Um, so our older daughter was very unwell when she was first born. Um, but it became apparent before she was one that these difficulties were going to be long-term. And so there was a massive amount of grieving at that time. But then I also think throughout her life, we've continued to grieve over different things. And suddenly, sometimes, this, I was at sports day this year, and I just found myself in floods of tears. And it's interesting, isn't it? Some of that's grief, and then some of that's just wonder. She goes to a school that has lots of other children in wheelchairs as well as is mainstream and they do sports day in such an amazing way and so part of it was joy that she is in this environment where she could enjoy that um but that that's an ongoing process in our lives um and that that's really important so we've had a number of times in our lives when we've had like major traumas so when she was first born there was a major trauma and about two years ago we thought she was going to die to be honest um and so it was a major trauma time. And our church are phenomenally amazing at supporting us. And the support two years ago, we had meals for about four months. It wasn't just a two-week rota. It was like ongoing. 
But, and that's amazing, but there's something for us that I feel like we can cope with the trauma, but it's actually the day-to-day stuff that's sometimes harder. So sometimes the things that look the worst from the outside are almost easier to deal with than just the normality of living with the stuff that's difficult. Um, And I guess for me, that's some of the thing that I've had to battle most with God around the like every day, here we are again, oh, this is still hard. What's my perspective this morning, God? How am I viewing you? Where am I up to with this? And one of the things that I think has been sort of most important for me is having an eternal perspective. So I would have said before we had children, oh yeah, I've got an eternal perspective. We're going to like die one day, go to be with Christ. Great. But I feel like I live with that in a whole different way now. Um, I think having a child with additional needs who isn't healed, (laughs) Um, and I think Sam's going to talk a little bit more about that, that can be a real battle. We haven't seen any form of healing. She has got worse over the years, not better in any way. Um, The hope of eternity is like a completely different thing in my life and in my heart these days. And like, gosh, what God has done for us in terms of what he has saved us out of and into and where we are going, we just live with that in a whole another way and my four-year-old will often say things to the eight-year-old like so when we get to heaven you're going to be able to do this and you're going to be able to do this and when we get to heaven you can eat this really good ice cream because it's so great and I'm so sad you can't eat it right now (laughs) and not always the most helpful in that sense as my eight-year-old rolls her eyes like yes I know I'd really like that at this moment in time um but I just think that's been an amazing shift for me personally and I just kind of thank God for that in my children, that they live with that in another way. They know where they're going. They know that kind of security and definity of that. Um, and I was thinking last night, as Lee was talking um, with, about Abraham and sacrificing your children and trusting God, and they've been, I feel like all the time I live with that thing of, oh, I, I have to trust God with my children. And for all of us, that's a really difficult thing, isn't it? He was talking about children being the main thing that holds us back from doing things for God. And I think... The fear that's attached to parenting can be so huge. But there are so many nights when I go to bed and my reality, definitely at different points in our life, is I don't know what I'm going to find when I wake up in the morning. I don't really know if my child's going to be alive. And that trusting God with that has been like a whole other level of me trusting him with my child. Um, And the times when I've really had to battle with that have always been the times we've ended up in (laughs) A&E. And there's something interesting in that, isn't there? Like, God, I'm really trying to trust you. And we have to call an ambulance again. And here we are in the thick of it. But that God is speaking to me in that way of like in those moments when I'm like, I'm really struggling with this. Something more dramatic happens that really pushes me into him. Um, And that's been so important for me, I think, in terms of saying, I do trust you. I can trust you. And I choose to trust you even in the middle of this. Am I talking? How am I doing? Okay. I could just talk forever, so I'm trying not to. <laughs> um, so I guess in terms of my perspective, they were the two things I wanted to share with you that had really changed for me in terms of how I trust God and eternal perspective. Um, I'm going to hand over to Sam, and then I think I'm going to say something else. Is that okay? Great. She said, how am I, how am I doing? She's doing great, isn't she? Good <laughs> bit of encouragement for her? But, yeah, let's do that. She's doing great. She's like, yeah, I'm going to let Hannah do most of the talking about this stuff because she does it so well. And uh, 
So just to say um, a few things from me. So Hannah's talked a little bit about perspective. I'm going to talk a little bit about pace. And just to add, maybe you've come in later, uh, just to reiterate what Roger said and then what Rob said. We're going to be quite real about some of the things, and Hannah's been really real then. We don't think that we have it harder than anyone else in the room. Our challenges are different, um, but we're still going to be really real because I think that's really important. I think one of the things that we were thinking about as we prepared this was that all parenting is risky. All parenting is risky. And I suppose there's a huge choice in there where for some, our, our faith can be, uh, can sort of become, seem to become small when, become, uh, when we have children or we can choose to really trust God in that, but all parenting is risky. Um, I just wanted to say that uh, the, the children's work here is amazing. Um, Olivia's really enjoyed that. Oh, there we go. Our eight-year-olds have really enjoyed that. I'm going to do that. I can't not, sorry. Um, and they were learning yesterday about uh, Esther, and they were learning about uh, the superheroes. They're doing this kind of superheroes of the Bible. And Esther, whose superpower was she's not afraid to die. And um, Just uh, seeing Olivia processing that was just amazing. And... Um, that just fits in with what Hannah was sharing, really, about the vulnerability of her life, our eight-year-old. <laughs> okay, pace. So um, the first thing that we want to say about this is that our whole pace of life has changed. And I suppose for those who have uh, a child or several children, the pace of your life does change. But just to give you some sense of that, from Olivia waking to being able to leave the house, if we were constantly doing all the tasks, takes hours. Um, it was quite funny this morning being in a travel lodge. I said it was a bit like a drug den because we've got like eight medications and we're cutting them up and these little tablets and having to syringe things up. And it was quite a strange start to our day, um, even, even more challenging them at home. Um, it can take sort of 20, 30 minutes to prepare some of her medication, two types of um, milk things that she has in different ways. Um, it takes 20 minutes to, um, to prepare those as well, maybe 30 minutes to an hour for her to drink one of them. Um, at the moment, we're trying a new diet for epilepsy with her, so we're spending a couple of hours in the evenings, um, a few nights a week, cooking specific meals where you have to measure everything to the milligram or the point, point 0.1 of a gram, milligram. Um, you know, you think, oh, we'll just leave the house. It can take uh, maybe 15 minutes to for saying, right, we'll leave the house to just get into the car because of the various bits of equipment that we need to do that. And so we are just really, really, really slow at everything. Um, any meal takes at least an hour. And that's really weird. I was thinking back to, so we haven't been, always been able to be at things like Devoted and North because it's been really challenging for us. So it's great to be here. But being at these reminds me of being in my early 20s before our children. And I lived life so fast-paced back then. Like we were constantly, I guess like so many of us, constantly going from one thing to another. And we were with kind of, I don't think we thought of ourselves like this, but kind of high achievers, fast-paced, we're going to do so much. Our life is completely different to that now. And it's been so good for us, which is a weird thing to say, isn't it? It's been so good for us. I think we always try to fit stuff in. Um, I used to get quite stressed. I never built in any downtime for myself. And some of the challenges that we have with family life now about being slow-paced are so helpful at times. And it means that our life is lived at a quite a sustainable pace, which can be a really good model for others that come into our house at times. And I think this is really important for our four-year-old, where she's struggling to regulate her emotions and 
if she was to go from one thing to the next to the next and we were pushing her into this class and this class and driving her out in the evening, she would really struggle. We're not really able to do that, but it's actually really helpful for her emotional needs. Um, and I think a lot of people comment on coming into our house and knowing us that there is, it's a peaceful place. There are times when there's sadness and there's times when there's frustration um, at the needs of both of our girls. But there's a huge amount of conversation over those hour-long meals and laughter and board games. I'm not that into board games, but we play a lot of board games because our eight-year-old can do that. And it's a way to, it's kind of a good leveler. And so there's something there that's been really, really good for us. I think it's been really good for us in terms of making us less task-orientated as well. Again, our four-year-old really needs that. If we were on her all the time about, you know, you've got to, you're going to school soon, you've got to be writing, we've got to work on these letters, she would really struggle. And it's so easy to do that, isn't it, as parents? But because that's not the way the rest of our life works, we need to often enjoy the challenges. Um, that's really helpful for her. And I think because of our eight-year-old's needs, because she can't really do anything she can smile um, she can eat on a good day we have learned to value her for who she is uh, not just what, what she can do and I think that's then really challenged us on about how we value people and friends and how we value our, our younger one as well there is so often the temptation to say well what are they good at I wonder if that means oh she seems to be quite good at that maybe she's going to be a footballer when she grows like these th thoughts go through your mind but it stops us from doing that which I think is really really healthy um, I asked one of uh, one of the um, other leaders in our, our church in, in Gateway Leeds Chris Frost I said to him oh we've been asked to talk a bit about this but it's very hard to look at your own life and see, well, what are we doing? And I asked him for a few pointers as to what he sees in us. And the one that really stood out related to this is he said, I think you guys embrace the constraints as gods. You guys embrace the constraints as gods. And I think that we've had to live within the limits that we have. We've had to learn to live within the limitations that we have in life. And there can be a lot of tensions around that, especially in a charismatic church who we believe that God can heal today. We believe in the power of God. We believe in the imminent presence of God with us here. But we still have to learn to live within those limitations. And so for me, working for the church, it, it, it would, I have to limit the amount of evenings that I can do because I know that, that my three ladies at home could need me. It's not very fair if I was to be out uh, loads. And so that's interesting. And yet God can still work through us within that. I can't really travel. And there's different times when I'm asked to travel to do different things. I usually have to say no, because that would be too much pressure to put on Hannah and vice versa. But I think our testimony is that we experience the abundant life of God in those constraints. We experience the fullness of God and his life in our constraints and even in times of suffering. It doesn't mean that he doesn't heal and it doesn't mean that life isn't hard at times. But he is, he's there. He's with us. We were reflecting recently, I think Hannah's going to speak at some point in, about uh, Mary and reflecting about the incarnation and the difficulty to be called by God, <laughs> to be chosen by him, the, the difficulty, the limitation, the suffering that that brings at times. And yet God was literally there in her. And so much more we could say about that. Um, 
And I suppose just to say, you know, you, if, if, you, if you've got uh, various needs in your family, or maybe you're here and you're involved in church, and the whole thing about healing can be really difficult for people in our position. Um, that's not to say I don't pray for the sick, and we don't often talk to our eight-year-old about whether she wants to be prayed for. We do. I think where we have to be really difficult, where we have to be really careful, is when we're talking to particularly a child, is not to just jump straight in and assume that they want prayer for that specific thing, because that could be communicating to them that they're not good enough as they are. And we really believe that Olivia has been made in God's image, and she's great. I've used her name again. I can't not do it. Um, and so it's just something to weigh up. It doesn't mean that we don't have those conversations. It doesn't mean that we sort of tr- walk around on tiptoes and not allowed to talk about healing. But it just means we just need to be careful with that and treat them like a person. Um, and not treat them like assuming that their life is poverty now. Because that's not our testimony. Our testimony is not that our life doesn't have God because there's difficulty. Our life is that our life is hard and God is there in the midst of it. It is so much of the gospel power made perfect in weakness it is that is the gospel that we have and so just the last thing is that i think our embracing the constraints the limitations and the pace of our life that is sometimes frustrating has been so good for the church it's been so good for our local church for gateway church you know the world says you can do anything you can do anything and particularly our 20s are getting pumped at that message into them and then they see us and they go no sometimes you really can't but god could still use you and um, at the end of Sunday services, there's these um, sofas at the back, and quite often people might want to talk to us, but we say, well, maybe, but we need to feed our girls, and it's particularly difficult for our eight-year-old, there's lots of medication stuff. And so we're sat there with folks maybe in their 50s or 60s, there's a lady in her 80s, and there's some with disabilities, or some who've at one point been homeless, and so we're there with what could be the fringe in our church, but that's where we are, and that's wonderful because we probably wouldn't be connected to them otherwise. Um, So that's amazing in the church. It's taught us, as I've said, to value people for who they are, not always just looking to fill a rota or who can do this or who can do that, but actually valuing them as we value our eight-year-old. And I think developed in us a huge empathy for those who are hurting. But at the same time, when it comes to um, a lot of pastoral work that we're both involved in, what's great is... I don't get treated like the priest or the vicar or even the pastor. I bring my problems into the room too. And so when someone is sharing stuff, I don't obviously go, well, that's nothing compared to what's going on in my life. I don't. But they know because they see our lives and we can have that conversation, I think, in a much more biblical way, sharing as brothers or sisters uh, our needs. So that's, that's so hard. And they say, well, what can we pray for you right now? And they're asking after us, and I think that's so helpful. And I think the thing it's done in Gateway Leads is means that we are more of a family than a business. And I think that's a huge challenge for churches. You know, we are so often um, working on model, corporate models, but actually we're called to be a family. And I think that's something that um, our eight-year-old particularly has brought to us. Cool. Um, so I just wanted to, um, I want to flick back to the Bible now, and um, I've got a, a, a story I want to tell you. It's a true story, um, and I filled the edges in it a bit. And the true story start, starts really, or where I want to start it, is with a, a crowd of people in a room. And this crowd of people, all of a sudden, 
they're sta- they're, they've come to meet with Jesus. They know he's come to preach and they know he's come to, to heal people. And all of a sudden the roof starts falling in on them. And that's the start of the story. But if we go back in time before that, it's really the story of five guys. Four of which start by, are, they're in a field and they're working away with the other people that, that will be working and farming on the field. And then the message comes out that Jesus has returned home, home base really, it's in Capernaum. He's returned home. And a lot of them are saying, right, let's go and, let's go and listen to Jesus, let's go and listen to Jesus. And the four guys, they say, well, hold on, what about our friend back at home? What about John? The name's not in the Bible, but I'm just, I'm just giving him a name. What about John back at home? So, John back at home, the reason he's back at home while all the other four guys are working is because he can't come and work. There is some form of paralysis. It's called the, the story of the paralytic man. There's some form of paralysis that's over him, whether it's, it's something that's come on later or whether he's had an accident or whether, whether he was born with it. We don't actually know. We don't know the level of paralysis uh, and the situation uh, in this story, but we do know is they can't walk. And basically his friend's first thought is, what about our friend John? So they race home to John to find him. Now, John has been at home as he was at home the day before and the day before that and the week before that, the year before that and the year before that. So John has permanently lived in his house, maybe being carried out on his bed, which is a mat, and laid outside on sunny, warm days. But mostly he lives in his village in one home and that's his life. His friends go to work, they do different things, they, they, they meet with people, they have a great time. But in their hearts, John is dear to them and they come back to him all the time. And their choice of, of friendship and relationship and being with, with John is with John and to be with John. So when they hear about Jesus, they race back and then they find John where they'd left him outside the, the house on his mat. And they say, John, we want you to come and meet with this Jesus. We know you've never seen him, but we've seen him before. He's been here before. We want you to come and meet with him. And he's like, well, I can't get there. I can't. No, no. And And in John's mind is the fact that his condition, that him being on this mat and never being able to go to see interesting people speak or hear people speak in other places is part of his life. And in his mind... It's always going to be part of his life. The next day, the next week, and on and on, his condition will always remain the same. There's never been any cure. There's never been any improvement. And in his heart and his mind, he's locked into living on his mat. And his friends say, no, John, we've seen this guy before. We've seen Jesus. We know what he is. We know what he can do. So they pick John up. The four friends say, we're not, staying, we're not having this, John. You're coming with us. And they pick him up and they carry him, one on each corner of the mat. And they take him and they carry him to see Jesus. But of course, carrying someone takes a long time to get to where they've got to go. And by the time they get there, the place is crowded. People are coming out of the door. They're coming down the, the lane. There's no way they can get to him. So they push forward to the front of the house, but they can't get him in. It's packed in that house. So they get to the roof. They say, we'll take him to the roof and we'll make space by lowering him through the roof. So they do so. 
They get to the side of the house, they pass him up onto the roof of the house, carry him to the top, lift bits of the roof off, and then drop him through gently on his mat. And this is where the people in the room are seeing this. What is happening is the roof coming down, there's this big patch of ceiling just coming. We've never seen this before. What's going on? And John is lowered into the mists of this meeting. And so Jesus heals him. Jesus looks at John and he says really kind things to him. And I think one of the amazing things that you see with Jesus is whenever he encounters people that, are, that have been on the edge of society or where they've been struggling with different things, whenever Jesus encounters them, you don't just see Jesus go and go, right, healed, bang, I'm off. He does, it's not, he's not a machine. He's actually someone with a heart that loves and cares. And you see, he calls him son. And, he, and you see this reference to him, which is, which is like a loving, caring reference. And then he says, get up, take your mat, and go home. And, this is, and they have, everyone in the room is like, get up, don't you realise? No, no you, Jesus, you don't realise he's, he's the paralytic in our village. He, he can't walk. But John struggles. And they're looking at him. No, John, John, you can't. And he gets up, rolls his mat up. And Jesus says, Today your sins are forgiven. And at that moment in time, what he's actually doing is saying, I am God. I heal. I forgive sins. It's a complete statement. In the room, the room is, there are Pharisees in the room, and he's making a statement, I am God. I do this. This is what I do. I love. I care. Sometimes I heal. Sometimes I forgive sins. And this is his statement. But interestingly, in that statement, what he says is, because of your faith, meaning all of the guys that have come, the friendship group of five, because of your faith, you will be healed today. So the two points I want to make is, one, is faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has the answers. And as Sam said earlier, is actually there's, there's not been any improvement, no healing. And we've seen that as well. But actually the answers are in Jesus and it might not be the answers that we're always looking for. But the answers are in Christ and we have a faith that he has his best for us and our children. And the second point I want to make is that we heard today, if you were in the meeting earlier, there was a clip that came on about Toronto Church Plant and a guy, Ant, who I know, and his wife. And his wife said, I never met his wife, and his wife said... Um, there's this saying that it takes a village to bring up a child. And then she took that saying and flipped it to it takes a church or a church movement to look after a church plant. Well, I'm going to flip it again. Yeah, it takes a village to look after a child. Sometimes it takes a village or a church to look after someone in difficulty, with difficulties. So for John, his village was his four friends. His friendship group, the people who loved and cared for him and looked after him day after day, who spent time coming back after they worked in the fields, chatting to him and joking with him because they knew what his life was like. And they made up for that. And they were there for him. And when it really came to the point and Christ was there, they were there for him. Joe. So I'm just going to share with you for a few minutes and then we want to leave time for questions and answers at the end. Um, I don't know if you've seen, there is a mobile number that you can text. 
Sorry? We're doing Q oh, oh, okay, they would, don't bother texting. We're not doing that. You can just ask your questions. <laughs> um, so as uh, Rob has mentioned before, of our five children, four of them are chronically ill. Now, the difficulty that we have that is a different difficulty to Sam and Hannah is that they don't look like they are. In our circumstance, which I think for many of you might be something that you can relate to, is that uh, we face challenges that are hidden. Our kids' disabilities are hidden. For the most part, they look normal. I mean, obviously, they've got our genes, so they're at a disadvantage there. But, you know, if you see them walking around um, devoted this weekend, you wouldn't necessarily know that there was anything wrong with them. And actually, for lots of you, the challenges that you face in your life with your kids, with your families, just in general, are things that other people can't necessarily spot. They're hidden challenges. Our children have, um, four of our children have got chronic fatigue, or ME. It is a condition that affects every part of our lives. And I tried to write a list. We were just, the girls were saying, what, what are you going to say? How are you going to explain what's wrong with us? And, and actually, we can't really explain what's wrong with them. Their illness affects, they get things like headaches, joint pain, fatigue, there's a clue in the name, isn't there, chronic fatigue, which is not the same thing as tiredness. They have cognitive problems, they can't sleep, they're sensitive to noise or to light or to well, all sorts of sensory processing. These wristbands we have to wear, not, not a joy in our lives. <laughs> they get sore throats, they have stomach problems. They have memory problems. They have brain fog. I don't know if you've ever been with elderly relatives, maybe, where they're trying to have a conversation with one another and, and they can't really hear because they're deaf. That is my dinner table all the time. Not because my children are deaf, but because their brains just don't really work. So actually, it's quite funny. One of them is speaking to the other. The other is responding. They are not having the same conversation. <laughs> That is just our normal life. And in fact, two seconds after I was saying that, these are the things I've written down. Is there anything you want to add? And I just mentioned memory problems. And Emily said, what about memory problems? <laughs> I said, yes, I think that's my point. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah we, th we have that. It's a, it's a hidden illness, but it affects every part of our day and, and life. And I can't really explain it to you. And in fact, people that live with us don't really know. It's so, it's so hidden, they don't really know, but it's a reality of our daily challenge. And so when I was thinking about what do I want to impart to you in maybe 10 minutes about living with challenges in life? Do you know, you all live with challenges in your life. Maybe your challenge is that your children never sleep. I understand that. I've had five children who never sleep. Maybe your challenge is that your children are just grumpy and difficult. Maybe your challenge is that your kids actually struggle with their emotions or they struggle with their behavior or they actually struggle in their relationships at school. Do you know, as parents, as challenges, we can go on and on and on. Every single person in this room could stand up and say, do you know, life sometimes can be really, really hard. What do I want to impart to you? I just felt that God gave me three things that I wanted to encourage you with. 
in the ways that we can lead ourselves, but also, um, we, you mentioned Abraham and Isaac. I wasn't in, we're in Amplify this weekend. I didn't hear what was said last night. Abraham and Isaac is a story not just about Abraham, but about Isaac. And as parents, we can often focus on our part. But I guarantee you, I have got, well, they're in their 20s now, but I have had teenage and 20-year-old boys about the sort of age that Isaac will have been was, a, was probably an older teen. I can assure you that a 100-year-old man cannot bind and take a knife to an unwilling, unparticipative 17-year-old. It can't be done. If Abraham laid Isaac down on that altar, it was because Isaac also had faith in God. And as parents, we not only need to lead ourselves, but our first job, my first job, all the constraints on, on my life and what I can do because of my children's illness actually have given me a wonderful opportunity to have extra time doing the actual thing that's most important in my life, which is helping them to find their faith in God, discipling them. Because I, can't, I can only lead myself. They need to learn to lead themselves. And they need to be like Isaac, they need to find their faith in God. So God spoke to me about three things. Looking in, looking up, and looking out. I'm a very simple woman. I need it really, really basic. What do I mean by looking in? I mean, let's be real. That life is really hard. It's okay to be honest about that. Actually, it's okay to say no matter how awkward it makes the rest of us feel or how much it might make us cry, to say, I don't know if my daughter's going to be alive when I wake up in the morning. Do you know, actually, none of us know that. None of us know what tomorrow is going to bring. Life is really hard. And whatever level that hardship is on, do you know, when your baby just doesn't sleep, that is just as hard Living with the, with the reality of that is just as hard as any other challenges that anybody else might face. Life is really hard. We have to be real about it. And you know, when our kids are finding life really hard, it's okay for them to be real about it. We need to have the freedom to say, do you know, it's really hard. I'm not saying we want to be moany and whiners. I, I'm not saying that. But it's okay to acknowledge it's really hard to be real with ourselves to let our kids be real about the challenges that are in their lives and to be real with God about it and to be real with others. We're not in this on our own. We're in this together. It's really okay to admit that we need help. If people do not know what your reality is, they cannot pray for you. And if there is nothing else that anybody can do, which most often there is nothing else that anybody can do, they can pray for you. We are in this together. Looking up. Do you know, it's so easy to say that God is the answer, but he really, really is. He really, really is. And the only way we can actually cope with the challenges that life brings is to really know who he is, that he is for us 
and not against us. That when he heals and when he doesn't, when life is good and when life is hard, God is for us and not against us. I was reading 1 Samuel 21 verse 16 uh, the other week and it just says this. It says, Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. That's like my verse for life. We need to find our strength in God, but we need to let others help us do that. We need to help one another do that. And most of all, we need to help our kids do that for themselves. No matter what age they are, Jesus is actually the answer. Whether they are 2 or 22 or... Well, it doesn't work 222, does it? (laughs) Whatever age we are, we need to know that we have to find our strength in God. This eternal perspective that Hannah spoke about, it's everything. It's literally everything. And when our teenagers are at New Day, and Adrian Holloway gets up and preaches, and people get healed, their friends get healed of their twisted ankle, or their Verrucas. I'm not really speaking about their friends. I got healed at the Brighton Conference while my kids were really, really sick. I got healed of Verrucas. I didn't even want them healed, really. They just, they just vanished sometime during a meeting. Why? Anyone got a clue? I, I have not got a clue. I know that God did that. Why did God heal my Verrucas and not my kids? I don't know, but I know that he is for me and not against me. I know that he loves them and he loves me. I know that he's able to heal. And sometimes he does. And in the end, he always will. In the end, he always will. But not only do I need to know that, they need to know that. They need to know that for themselves. Because when their friends are getting healed and they are not, If they do not know who God is, and if they do not know that God is for them and not against them, then how can they celebrate with their friends? They can. They can celebrate every victory because they know that ultimately God is for them. We have to lead our children towards Jesus. We have to lead our children towards Jesus. We have to lead ourselves. We have to lead them. There's... I've, that's, I've got nothing else. That's it. That's the actual only thing. That any, it's, the, it's the only thing. And in that, my third and very brief point is looking out. What's the time? We're okay. Looking out. Do you know, because God is for us and not against us, what that means is that whatever challenges you are facing, God is going to bring good out of them. God is going to bring good out of them. Esther is here with me, my daughter. And one day we were chatting around the kitchen table and she said to me, if we are talking, which we were because we do, if we are talking about good things that God has brought out of my illness, then I can say this is one of those I'm going to say she was about 11 at the time. Is that, do you think that's true? Esther, could you just come up here? I asked, is, no. <laughs> come up here. I asked Esther and Emily to come with me today. 
Looking normal, isn't she? Looking normal. I asked them to come with me today because I thought, you know, I can tell you that our children need to have their own faith in God, but it's better if they can tell you. For most of you, probably your kids are quite small and, and it feels like something we're aiming for. My kids are kind of quite big now. They've been sick for a really long time. And I thought the thing that can encourage you most is if they can tell you. I can say it, but it's better if they can say it. Esther, when you said that to me, do you think you could just tell people now what it was that you were talking about? Um, So I had a friend in school who, um, her parents were strongly atheists, very strong. Um, And I invited her around. I invited her around for dinner, as anyone would any friend. And um, she got ill. And through my illness, I've discovered, surprisingly... (laughs) I could relate to her a lot, so we um, talked a lot about that stuff. And one day, she came around my house for dinner. Um, And uh, asked me, how do you become a Christian? And if I wanted to, could I? And I was like, in my head, I was like, whoa, what's going on? I didn't see this coming. Um, and I, I, well, I snuck out of the room and I was like, Mum, what did I say to this? <laughs> yeah. um, and um, we talked about it. And uh, she became a Christian that day. And what was amazing was she knew I was a, she knew I was a Christian. But we hadn't been talking about it a lot recently. So took me by surprise and I thought what we've recently been talking about is her being ill and how I relate to that and uh, it was probably God um, being shown through that Emily This is my lovely Emily. I definitely told her beforehand I'd ask her a question that I didn't write down and I now can't remember what it was. She's okay, she doesn't need me to ask questions. She's just going to say something to you. Um, So my parents asked me to speak a little bit about what it's like to be um, their child with uh, special needs. And I thought I'd start with... um, I think this is the first church meeting I've been to in a year and a half, which is a really big deal. And when I stopped being able to go to church meetings, that was really, really difficult. I love Jesus and I love his church. And that's how I was brought up to be and that's how I am. And that's, um, that's, that's my life. So when I could stop doing that, it was really difficult. And I don't, I don't know about your lives or your children's lives or your futures, but um, this is how it's uh, been for me. And... Although that was really sad, I found other ways to be part of church community. I um, 
could read my Bible, I could be taught about my Bible from my parents and my church family, and I could listen to preachers online and worship at home. And there's so many great ways I could still uh, live my life as a Christian without being able to leave my house or my bed. Um, and then um, my house continued to deteriorate, and I was, um, was can you just say what this um, and I was, um, I was unable to read anymore or um, speak to people, even my sisters, as you know, or my parents. So I couldn't really learn more about God or um, anything. I couldn't worship. It was just so painful. Um, and that was so hard, being so unable. And... Um, well, actually, at the last debated camp, I think it was two years ago, um, someone uh, came to me saying, God's spoken to me about you, and he's given me this picture of you in a pond, and just swimming along in this pond, and you're struggling to keep your head above water, and actually now you're drowning, and you're sinking, and you're so deep underwater, you cannot breathe, but God has given you, or is going to give you this amazing gift of gills, so you can breathe underwater in your circumstances. And I thought, wow, amazing, I'm going to be healed. And wasn't I got worse and actually I've come to realize that gift um, was actually uh, the knowledge of his love um, in my situation even if I can't um, eat or sleep or get dressed or walk or do anything I can actually still have a purpose in him and a life in him just through um, the knowledge of his love for me because he is enough and he's brought me to a place where I can be fully dependent on him and no one else or nothing else because it's just not possible and that's just been awful but really awesome at the same time um anything else I was going to say yeah that's it this seminar has been brought to you fueled by the power of adrenaline (laughs) thank you Emily The only thing we can do as parents is point our children towards Jesus. And Sam and Hannah's daughter might not be able to verbalize that, but I know, I don't really know her very well, but I I know them. And if she could verbalize that, that would be her heart. That is her heart. She knows that Jesus loves her and is for her and not against her. And if there is one thing that you can take away as parents, it is that there is every hope in him when we know that he is for us and not against us. And when our children can know that for ourselves. That's our one job. That's our one job is to point them towards him. And I felt that... um, to hear that from their mouths is more powerful than anything else that any of us can say. Now, how are we doing for time? Five past twelve. I feel like you, Hannah, had something else that, that you didn't get a chance to say. And I feel like if you can do that in five minutes, that would give us then about 20 minutes to maybe do some Q&A. And... Uh, questions had just be thinking because you can ask us and you you can ask our girls they're not going to stand up again we can give them the microphone actually they whatever you want to ask you can ask
Thanks, Joe. I feel like, Joe, you've expressed what I would say so well, actually. And that last point, um, one of the things I wanted to say was about like partnering with our children. Um, obviously, we're parenting them, but we also want to partner with them. And what are our expectations for our children? And with our older daughter, not... We've been really, I've been really challenged about um, getting in the way of her relationship with God. Um, because she's nonverbal, and because it's so hard to know what's going through her head a lot of the time, um, it's really easy for me to just step in the gap and be like, oh, well, I think this is what God's saying to you, or I think this, or should we pray this, and I'm going to say it for you, and let's, let's pray, shall we? And then I just start praying. <laughs> and, um, I was like, we did a parenting course, um, which Rachel Turner, I think it's called Parenting Children for a Life of Faith. If you've not read that book, I just think it's absolutely phenomenal like shamelessly recommend that um and it really challenged me I was like oh I'm she talks about God smart and God connected I'm making my child God smart I'm telling her lots about him I'm not leaving room for her to connect for herself and her relationship with God has massively changed since I've got out the way um, and I just think sometimes that can be a challenge for us as parents that we step in too quickly um she has always experienced something of the Holy Spirit in a way that I cannot describe to you and I know is really different. Um, and I just think now, often we will pray before bed. It's an easy time, isn't it? And it's kind of space. And you just know something happens. You just watch her face and she's communicating with God. And I know he speaks back to her. She can communicate yes or no with her hand. And I'll say, like, are you done? Yes. Is God still talking to you? Yes really clearly in a way that sometimes you'd be like are you okay do you want this food and she's like half-hearted when you talk to her about her conversations with God it's one of the times that she is very definite and I just think that has flourished because I got out the way of stepping in and continuing to say things for her and I guess that was one of the main things I wanted to share with you and that she she's non-verbal but she's had prophetic words for people and you're like what has that even begin to happen I don't really know except that I know she hears from God and there's been times when she's clearly hearing from God and so it, we've spent 20 minutes with her like what are you hearing from God and it's guesswork so we're like is he talking about this he's talking about this he's talking about this he's talking... until we get something okay and the last time that happened Sam and her just sat at the back of church because she said it was for somebody at church we were like oh, flipping neck how are we ever going to guess that so they just sat there until that person walked towards them she squeezed his hand and then Sam was able to explain the prophetic word and I just think Sometimes, by accident, we limit what God is able to do through our kids. Um, and if my child, who can't speak, can give somebody a prophetic word, flipping it, what more can, can we allow God to do in our children? And what are our expectations for our children? We want to partner with them in this as we parent them, but not get in the way of them communicating with God. Does that make sense? I think that's all I need to say. <laughs> Come up here. It's easier if people can see you. Come up here. You don't have to move. <laughs> um, does anybody have any questions or comments or anything? Why don't you talk to the people next to you about anything that you found interesting, challenging, or something like that, and then you might come up with a question. That might help. Is that all right? Gets you talking. Why don't you do, take two minutes to talk to someone next to you and say, okay, 
Was that surprising, or is that... I don't, I'm not sure I agree with that. Do that, and then we'll see if we've got some questions then. Okay, guys, um, if we can draw that in. Has anyone sort of, I mean, it might not be questions, it might be a point that you want to make or want to say. Has anyone got any points or questions? <laughs> I can always talk if nobody else can. The other thing I didn't say, I guess, was just about partnership with your spouse, if you have one. If you are a single parent in this room... I have more respect for you than I could ever put into words because I think it's tough. Um, so I just want to say that. But I guess the other thing that we've really learned is really honouring and being gracious with one another. Um, we're not always good at this, but we spent some time with my sister and brother-in-law recently who live in America and we never get to see them. We had a wonderful time and my brother-in-law said to me or us, you're quite good at letting things go. And I was, like, really encouraged because I feel like we've worked really hard on that. <laughs> um, but there's something helpful about life being challenging that sometimes in a good way has made us be like, I just need to let that go. It doesn't really matter. I might be really annoyed right now, and that really irritated me, and we will talk about it at some point, but I need to not make a big deal of it at this po point in time. And so it's not about not communicating. Actually, we communicate all the time. We have two nights a week that nobody is allowed to come in on because we just need that time to talk about how we're doing and what's happening in our lives. And we would highly recommend that to any of you. But just that grace and honouring one another. This is the team that God has given you. And it's really easy for us to be niggly. That's just reality of life, especially when things are tough and be cross with one another. And I think the thing I'm really challenged all the time is being grateful for what Sam brings in that. When it's really different to how I would do it, and I don't think it's best, being grateful for that and honouring that and letting that in me, just letting that go. Um, so I've got a point as well. So in the story I told about um, the paralytic guy and his four friends, um, uh, John Ortberg from the Willow Creek um, line of churches, he calls it, that he's, he's coined this phrase called the fellowship of the mat. Uh, and he talks a lot about the way that these, the, 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 the love and care these four guys had for the person who was on the mat. And we found um, that the help from people in the church is, is massive. You know, uh, Hannah was talking about meals for four months. Sometimes we, we have found that 
the best thing for you, for you guys to do, if, you, if you've got somebody in the church who needs help and you're thinking, and it might not be uh, um, someone who's got a child with a, a, a condition or a, or a disability, it might be somebody, it might be somebody who's thinking just actually this person needs help. Sometimes the best thing to do is to ask, what, how could we help? How could we have, be of help to you? Because sometimes we found that with people that um, sometimes, so for example, we were, we were in a church, a conversation with a church leader recently about one of our children, and he was sort of saying, how, what, what more can I do for your, for your child? How can I help them more? And we were sort of saying, well, you did ask them that because we know. And the response was, uh, you, you wasn't quite hearing what they were saying. So sometimes it's, it's really good to be able to listen to exactly what the, the help can be. Because what we, all tr- what we all try and do is we might look at Sam and Hannah, for example, and say, actually, I know what they need. And I'm going to ask them what they need, but I actually know what they need. And you can jump in sometimes, and sometimes the things that actually we would think are just, oh, this is going to be brilliant for these guys. But actually, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll pay for you to go out for an evening meal. And, and they're like, and for them it's like, oh, this is massive, because what are we going to do with that? That's really stressful. Trying to, and you're saying in the next two weeks, and it's, like, and, it, and it's just, and so what I'm saying is that sometimes sitting and listening to them, and then as soon as you hear them say it, then go with what they say, rather than thinking, oh, yeah, but I can extend that, and what I think is good will work. I just add, um, I think when you've got challenges in your life, it's really good to get really good at just getting on with it. And what I've done, I've, this last year, I just had a revelation moment that what I need to do is, say, is, to, to, is to learn to say, yes, please, that would be really helpful. And I've made a discipline of it. When somebody offers to do something to help me, even if I don't really feel like I need them to or particularly want them to, I feel like, actually, I can just do this for myself. And then I take a breath and I say, yes, please, that would be really helpful. Thank you. And actually, do you know, we're not, we don't, we're not God's design for us isn't to be independent. It's to let other people in. It's to let other people in. And sometimes the kindest thing you can do for somebody else is to say, yes, please, thank you. That would be really helpful. These guys have um, just served us superbly. Uh, it's been a, a very, very powerful morning just hearing their stories. And I think just... Both the honesty, uh, the reality with which you've spoken, uh, but I, I've just on my page of notes, I've I've ended up writing faith, 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 in the sense of the faith with which they've spoken, and the faith which I, I believe God's helped them find in parenting through challenging situations, and I really believe that 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 I, I just feel there's a just a sense of the presence of God right on our time together of an impartation of fresh faith for your situation. Okay, whatever your challenge, you've all got your own stories to tell. Hearing their stories, God's speaking through them to help you with your story and the story you're part of and he's just releasing fresh faith. And uh, I, I kind of love all four of them to pray, but I think maybe it'd be one from each couple. 
okay, just to pray. And, and I'd, I'd like you to really be just in that real receptive place, just to receive faith right now, fresh faith, okay, fresh faith, just to really encourage you with, with all that God's given you, the privilege of it, the joy of it. So, uh, Joe, do you want to start? Father God, I just, we want to declare that you are for us and not against us. You are good. You are good, good, good. You are always good. You have good things for us. You bless us. You grow us. You stretch us, but it's good. You challenge us and you discipline us and it's good. Lord, you are good. You are always good. There is none like you. And Lord, we want to fix our eyes on you. We want to fix our eyes on you and say it's all about you. It's all for you, for your glory. Lord, use us. Lord, use us. Lord, we don't just want to be people who sing about Take me into the storm. Take me into the deep water so that I can fix my eyes on you. We want to be those that walk that out in our lives, in the storms, in the deep water. What an opportunity to know you, to rely on you. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the opportunity to rely on you. That only comes in the storm. God, I pray that that will be the cry of our hearts, that every person here would begin to receive a gift of faith from you for their storm, for their circumstance, for their challenge, for their day-to-day, that they would see you in it, that they would fix their eyes on you, that they would lean on you, press in, see that you are good. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you discipline those you love. You grow us. You are sanctifying us. You are bringing glory to yourself through our lives, whether we see it or not. You are faithful to do it, Lord. And we declare that we are yours. We are yours. We are running this race for you. And nothing else matters. Jesus, it is all about you. Lord, I thank you that you are more than enough. You are more than enough in every situation that we face, that you always have what we need. Lord, that you are trustworthy in that. Lord, and I thank you that your plans and purposes for our children are beyond our own expectations and limitations. (laughs) That, Father, you have designs uh, of your hand and your Uh, power in their life. Lord, that is beyond what we have expectations of. I thank you for that, Lord God. I felt really stirred as I was standing here now, just for you to bring the names of your children before God, and that as you speak each name, that he wants to speak back to you just one word about each of those children. Um, And it it might be that you're like, ah. James, uh, annoying right now. That's how you're doing with your kid right now. And that God wants to speak into that situation. And that isn't a chastisement in any way, but that he wants to bring faith. And it, or it might be that you're like, ah, Lucy, like, 
powerful or wonderful and that God wants to speak into that as well. It doesn't have to be negative. But that I just want to give space a minute for us to bring the names of our children before God and just allow God to speak. Father, I thank you for the daunting privilege, but the privilege of parenting as facilitators of faith. Lord God, and I ask for each one of us that that's what you would make us, that facilitators of our children coming to know you, Lord, but that we would not be parents who dictate or get in the way in any sense of that relationship that our children have with you on a personal level. Lord, for all of our kids, would they know, however young or however old they now are, whether they're adults, Lord, would they know a fresh sense of your Holy Spirit's presence? Would they know a fresh sense of connectedness to you personally? Father, would you... Just bring faith, those words that you have just spoken to us individually. Lord, we pray that, that you would add faith to those as we leave here today. Lord, that, yeah, as we were being challenged last night of the promises that we've put down to pick up again, to be really running with you. Lord, if there's things that we've put down because life has been tough, Lord, we ask that you would enable us to pick those up, to look to you, to trust you again, Lord, and bring faith, add faith to what you've just spoken, Lord God. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your passion for our kids. Thank you, Lord, that you love them with a love that is beyond what we understand, Lord God. Thank you for what you want to do in them, Lord Jesus. Okay, guys, so um, we're going to be around here for a, a, a little while. If you want personal prayer over a personal situation, then please speak to us and uh, we will pray with you guys. Okay, just uh, say thank you again, a huge thank you to Sam and Hannah, Rob and Joe, Rob and Joe's family as well, just being with us, so value that. Uh, same time, same place tomorrow, and uh, we've got uh, an interview, uh, we're going to speak about a single parent, and we're going to speak about mothers, fathers, and growing in all God's called us to as parenting. Okay, Cheryl and I will be doing that. Have a great rest of the day, have fun. <laughs>